Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. I've been taking a little walk lately down memory lane as a father. My my oldest daughter is in the sound booth working the cameras this morning. By the end of the summer, she's she's gonna be preaching, right? (laughs) She's learned every role here. But I've been taking a walk down memory lane, um, and and it kind of started a few weeks ago when Becca and I piled the kids into the car and we made our way out to the Eastgate Mall to J.C. Penney, right? because it's the only JCPenney left where you can take photos, right? Remember those back in the day? The JCPenney's that had like a photo studio in it? I have vivid memories as a little kid going year after year with mom, dad, and my older sister, Jenny, um, piled in the car, dressed in something that was uncomfortable like corduroy, and going to take a family photo. And one year in particular, I'll never forget, right before the family photos, um, I decided to trim my bangs because they just didn't look right, and I wanted them to look really good. And I'm in the back of my mom's maroon Oldsmobile Cutlass, and, and I'm back in that back seat, and I remember she saw in the rearview mirror that I had trimmed my bangs, and I'm telling you, it was a fake smile the whole photo shoot, because I knew that I was in trouble. Um, there were still, like, hair clippings on my shoulder. <laughs> it was bad. Um, but I started thinking about it. We, we had our kids there, and, and uh, we were... Um, Going through before we even went to go get our photos taken, we were looking at all the photo albums that we've had made of our kids. Now what we do, sorry JCPenney, is we we go there, we get the photos done, we don't buy the prints there, we just get the digital copy and then we order prints off Shutterfly and make the book, right? That's what we do. And um, this sermon is not sponsored by Shutterfly or JCPenney, by the way. Um, But but I was going through all the books that we have, and Brianna being our oldest, we have way more books of her than poor Noah, who's five. You know, the, the first child kind of gets that, that first-time parent just adoration that they get, you know. And, um, and I started thinking about those first few years of Brianna's life. And the first four or five years that she was alive and I was a new dad, we had sort of an interesting family work schedule. My wife's a physical therapist and works in the hospitals, and at the time, she was working the weekend shift. So she would go into work Fridays at 2 o'clock and get home well after 10 p.m., and then she would work all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And so for the first four or five years of being a new dad, I was sort of flying solo on the weekends. A wonderful time to bond with Brianna, but also a time when, honestly, I was a little in over my head. I didn't really quite know how to be a dad yet. I still don't know how to be a dad all the time. And so we had this routine on Saturday mornings. It was the same every Saturday for like four or five years. We would get up. Mom would already be out the door at the hospital seeing patients by the time we woke up. We'd have breakfast together. Um, We'd clean up from breakfast. We'd play a little bit. We'd watch Sesame Street. 
And then I would put that poor girl in the stroller because I didn't know what to do with her. And we would walk miles and miles around the neighborhood. My friends used to laugh. They would take photos of me. They're like, uh, is this the third walk today, dad? Well, you know, I just, I didn't know what to do with this ball of energy, this daughter of mine. And, and after the walk, we would have lunch. And after lunch, I'd say, hey, Brianna, do you want to go to Jungle Gyms? <laughs> that was our place. This is like every Saturday. We went to Jungle Gyms. What a great place. I mean, kill two birds with one stone. Entertain my daughter with all of the animal things at Jungle Gyms. I mean, how magical is it to walk into Jungle Gyms with the gorilla noises? You know, like, it's just pretty cool. And then I get to do all this fun shopping with ethnic food, and they have this amazing craft beer selection, and Brianna had this awesome cereal selection. It was great. Well, one Saturday in particular, where we've made our way through our morning routine, we're at the parking lot of Jungle Gyms, I open up the back of my Jeep, I get out the stroller, and I'm getting the stroller ready with the diaper bag and all the stuff, and I go over to Brianna's door, and I open the door, she's probably somewhere between three and four years old, and I'm unbuckling her car seat, and I feel a tap on my shoulder. Kind of startles me. You know, here I am with my little daughter, and she's half unbuckled, kicking her legs out, and I'm holding her in, and I turn around, and there's this man there, and he says, Mr., Mr., I'm so sorry to bother you, but, but my car broke down, my car is out of gas, I don't have any gas, I, do you have $20 so I can fill my gas tank up? I have five hungry kids at home, and, and I don't have any food for them either, do you have anything, you, can you help me out? Has this ever happened to you, right? You meet somebody who tells you that they have a need and you're kind of questioning in your mind, is this a real need or is this just a story? It, it's really hard for us not to immediately go to thinking that we're being taken advantage of and yet, and yet there's this story and there's this desperation and whether it's true or not, here's somebody who, who's asking for money and, and I'm this new dad and I have my daughter here and I'm, I'm just really uncomfortable in this moment and says, do you have anything? Can you help me? And, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash on me, which was a total lie. I, I had gone to the bank earlier that week. I think I had over $100 cash on me. I said, but I, I, don't, I don't have anything here. Maybe, maybe when I come out of the store, I can, I, I can help you somehow. And he said, okay, 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 okay. And he kind of went off and got Brianna in her stroller we're making our way in, and I have my, you know, key fob, and I'm, beep, beep, is it locked? And, and then have you ever, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, but it's true. Then, like, 15 paces later, wait, did I lock it? Beep, 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 beep. Yeah, that car better be locked today, <laughs> right? Who's this guy in the parking lot? We make our way into Jungle Gyms, and we, we spend a lot of time there. I mean, there's a lot you can do there. And I all but forgot about the guy. We make our way out of Jungle Gyms and I'm getting the groceries into the car. I put Brianna in first, get the groceries into the car and then I see out of the corner of my eye this guy running back toward me. Hey, hey mister, did, did, you, did, you, did you get what you need at the grocery store? Did, can you help me out? I need $20 to fill up my, my gas tank and, and, and my kids are at home and they're hungry and the whole story again and I was getting into my car and I said to him, hey, I'm sorry, man. I, I hope you get home to your kids, but I can't help you. We've probably all done this. I'm driving away, 
and we're trying to get back onto Eastgate Boulevard. And Brianna, in the back seat, three and a half or four years old, says, Daddy, what's going to happen to that man? I said, well, what do you mean? Well, what's going to happen to him? I said, I don't know. A minute later, Daddy, how's he going to get home to those kids? Oh, I, I don't know, honey. Daddy, you should have helped him. You could still help him. Turn the car around. Go to the parking lot, find the guy, still thinking, is this right or isn't it right? Roll down my window and I said, hey, buddy, I found some money here in, in my car. Here's 20 bucks and a box of cereal or something. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I'm going to go fill my tank up. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We drive home, right? I don't know if it was the best use of $20 or not. That, that's not the point of the story. The point of this story, the reason I tell it, is to highlight a fundamental question that so many of us have been trained to ask. The question that we've been trained to ask, honestly, in the suburban world, in a middle class to maybe upper middle class environment that many of us maybe came from, maybe some of us haven't, is, is a question that is inherently flawed. And it's the question of, if I stop, if I help, if I give, if I risk serving, what will happen to me? The fundamental question that Jesus always invites us to ask is if I don't help, is if I'm not generous, is if I don't open my heart, what will happen to the person in need? Here in the story of the Good Samaritan, we see the same thing happening. There's a young lawyer who came to test Jesus. He doesn't have a good intention, we're told. Luke's, uh, the author of Luke's gospel tells us up front he came to sort of test Jesus. And he asks him a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns it back to him. What have you heard in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replies, you have answered correctly. Go and do Likewise, Jesus is trying to help this young lawyer move from head to heart, which is always the pathway of maturity as a disciple of Jesus. We so often live in the head space. Is this right? Is it wrong? And now we need reason. We need rational thinking. We, we need to know that we're helping in good ways, but so often we use that as a way to block ourselves from ever experiencing a movement of the heart. We have to learn to move from head to heart. But the lawyer then has another question. Well, who's my neighbor? And instead of answering that directly, Jesus flips it on his head. Jesus never answers the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a parable to teach the man what being a neighbor looks like. Did you get that? Who's my neighbor? Jesus doesn't even answer it because to Jesus, it's always clear. Everybody's your neighbor. I want to teach you how to be a neighbor. 
So he tells the story of a man who was robbed, beaten, stripped naked, and left half dead in the gutter. And in his story, the priest and the Levites see the man and they move to the other side of the street and they walk right on by. But it's the Samaritan, the unlikely hero, right? People that the Jewish audience that Jesus was teaching this to would have been a little bit upset by. What do you mean the Samaritan's the hero of the story? But he is. And the Samaritan, instead of asking like the priest and the Levite, if I stop and help this man, what is gonna happen to me? They had real fear. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho in the parable is a dangerous road where people were robbed and beaten often. The priest and the Levite probably didn't mean harm. They're just asking the question that we always ask. If I stop, if I'm generous, what will happen to me? Will my hands get dirty? Will I be in over my head? Will I have to actually disrupt my own day? But it's the Samaritan who asks the gospel-oriented question, if I don't stop, what will happen to him? So he cares for him. He puts him on his own animal. He takes him to an inn. He, he pays for his care. Now, which one of these was the neighbor? The one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. This whole summer, we are focused here at Prince of Peace on how it is that we are going to intentionally shape the culture of this congregation. We are bold enough, audacious enough to think that we, together, all of us, can actually shape a culture here. We might not be able to shape the culture in the world and the culture in society and what we read about on the news, but we can start in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own households, in this community. And we have these three statements as a part of our long-range vision work that we want to build this culture around. The last three weeks, we focused on building a culture where all truly means all. We did a lot of teaching on that. We want to be a congregation where all people are truly embraced, not just welcomed where no matter who you are, what background you come from, no matter what differences the world throws on top of you, markers or designations, here in this community, you are embraced. All means all. But today and the next two weeks, we'll be focusing on another one of those pillar statements that we wanna shape the culture around. And it's a phrase, it's a statement that you hear us say a lot. It's love and life win. We want to build a culture where love and life win because we believe that that's the essence of the resurrection message, that nothing in this world that demeans us, divides us, fractures us, cheapens us, robs us of our sacred humanity will ever have the final answer. We believe that through the resurrection of Jesus, love and life win. We want to be a hope-filled, resurrection-inspired community. That is what drives us forward. That is the news that the world is craving to hear. But we have to learn as a community, even more fully, how to move from head to heart. Don't we? We always need work with this. It would be like this. It would be like if Jesus taught the parable, right? The priest and the Levite, they see the man in the ditch, He's hurting, he's crying, he's bleeding, he needs help. 
They see the need. They walk by on the other side of the road and they point to the man and they say, hey, buddy, remember, love and life win. Love and life win. I gotta get on to my day. I gotta get to the synagogue. But love and life win. Don't you forget it. The best proclamation of love and life winning never happens through words. It happens through action. How do we proclaim love and life winning? We draw near to somebody in pain. We listen to their story. We help heal their wounds. We help care for them. We draw close to the suffering in this world. If you want to tell the world that love and life win, then we have to get our hands dirty. We've got to, get, we've got to be willing to get uncomfortable. This is the type of community we want to become. In about two weeks from now, a family who fled Afghanistan last uh, number of months ago when everything unfolded there, who's been living in a temporary refugee camp, is getting on a plane and they're flying to Virginia. Once they land in Virginia, it will be all but 10 days that they show up on the doorsteps of this church. As we participate in the work of refugee resettlement for this Afghani family, we have to remember how it all began. It began when two members of this congregation, Bill and Ann Wentz, who were well into their years, could fully be enjoying their retirement, approached us and said, in our former congregation in Chicago, we were a part of refugee resettlement. We've done this work for 20 years. Is Prince of Peace interested? They wanted to do the law. Do it. And so they shared their message. They shared the invitation. And over 30 other people rose up from this congregation to be a part of that team. People who want to draw close to people in need. This is how love and life wins is actually proclaimed in the world. It looks like 12 people back in 2014 getting on a plane from this congregation flying to Haiti for an immersion trip whose hearts were overcome with joy and sorrow at the plight of the Haitian people, who came back to this congregation, shared what they've learned, what they saw, and now this congregation, through your generosity, is one of the most um, bold and audacious supporting congregations of the work happening in Haiti so that women and children can have a life of dignity. Love and life wins looks like people who volunteer no matter what age they are, at Interfaith Hospitality Network to help families in transition have housing. Love and life winning looks like going down and sitting across from a student at Nest who needs help with their homework. Love and life winning looks like picking up extra boxes of macaroni and dropping them off at the Life Food Pantry. Love and life winning looks like loving and serving those in our life, in our families, in our communities with the love of Jesus. May we always be a love and life wins church, but may we always be mindful that it's going to require us to often walk alongside suffering, to hear the stories, and through our love to point to a new reality that is breaking into this world that reminds us once and for all through the resurrection of Jesus, every tomb will be hallowed, every grave will be empty because Christ has conquered 
it all. So let us be doers of the word and not just hearers. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.